God speaks to us in his word in Genesis 4, 1 through 7. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning. Morning. Boy, I told somebody this morning, I shouldn't have said it. I said, this is our revival service. This 11 o'clock is the service where, you know, people just come ready. They're so excited. And here you guys are today. I'll never say it again. It's the first time I've ever said it. And I can't even get a good morning out of y'all. Okay, I'm, I'm done messing with you. My name's Ben. If I haven't met you yet, I'm the pastor here. Hey, we're in the book of Genesis. Really glad that you guys are here with us today. Uh, if you're a guest in the room, man, you are our honored guest. Again, like I, you get two days off a week and for you to come to church on one of those days, uh, we just really are uh, stoked that you would be with us. We're preaching through a book of the Bible called Genesis. Genesis, uh, literally, literally translated, is in the beginning or the beginning. And so we, we're just walking through each of these stories and we're seeing how God created the heavens and the earth and how he created man and for what purpose. And I don't know what week we are, week eight or nine or seven or eight or something uh, in Genesis now. But, um, but we're going through the first 11 chapters. And one of the things that we have discovered is that God is an intentional creator. He doesn't just make things because he's bored. He doesn't just make things because he can make them. God himself is a combination of a lot of things, but two things, two themes of God's character that are prevalent in Genesis are that he is both just, he is fully justice, he cannot be unjust, God has to be just because he himself is justice. You understand, it's not, he just not, it's not more virtuous than us, he is, but it's that he cannot not be justice because he himself is justice. So God is fully just, but he's also fully love, which also means that he cannot not be love. He has to be both just and love. And we're watching these themes play out uh, in the way that he has created the earth. He created the earth out of his justice and his love. He created the beast of the field out of justice and love. He created the heavens uh, out of justice and love, the water, and then finally man, he created out of his love. It wasn't because he was bored. He said, let me make man, let us make man in our image. He creates man in his image, but he's also both just. So what happens is man who is not God, who is capable of sinning, they're made in his image, but they are not God. God is incapable of sin. Man is not incapable. Man sins. They believe the serpent, the liar, the deceiver, who tells them God is a liar. God told you not to eat of this tree, but he's actually lying. It's the Bible calls the lie. 
and they believe the lie. And you know what the lie is? The lie is if you eat of, if you disobey God, you can be God. You can be him. You get to dictate your world. You get to be fully justice and fully love. Well, that doesn't work. God told them if they eat of the tree, they will die. The serpent said, no, you will finally live. And what happens is they died. Spiritually, emotionally, that's called the fall. The fall is where death entered the world, where sin entered the world. And now what's happening is God has now, there has been a curse that's invoked because of the fall. It's for Adam and Eve, a curse for the serpent, and even a curse for the ground, for the earth. And I think that that it matters tremendously that we know that the earth is cursed because every time I sneeze, every time I start to lose my breath, every time I take an allergy pill every day of my life, I get mad at the curse. Come on, somebody say amen. Right now especially, I went to the allergy doctor one time and they give you like, you know, they train, of course, themselves and their, their nurses, like they train those people to like, Okay, don't be like overreact, you've seen it, you don't have to be crazy, whatever. And they give you like 40 or 50 shots to see what you're allergic to. And I remember my nurse, who was very staunch and very much a professional, looked at my results and went, oh. The trained to not react nurse had a reaction to me and the doctor who has seen a million people walked in and he goes, you are off the charts. Your allergies, you're allergic to the entire world. And he was being very serious. He listed all the things I was allergic to. He's like, pecan trees, pecans, the leaves, uh, leaves on other trees, grass, every type of grass, listed all the grasses. He said, I love grass. I've got a giant pecan tree in my yard, just so happens. You're allergic to dogs. I have a German shepherd whose nickname is German Shedder. It literally everything, the whole earth, everything is set up to kill me, basically, is what the doctor said. So I feel the ramifications of the curse. I mean, my goodness, especially right now. I went to bed last night. I was like, why can't I breathe? Somebody tell me why I can't breathe. And I was like, man, the curse. I know it. I'm preaching on it. This is probably God's way of getting my heart ready for that sermon tomorrow. Everything is not the way it should be. We were were supposed to work the ground and the ground yield fruit and us not be allergic to it. We We were supposed to have perfect unity. But now it's, it's cursed and God said to Adam that you're gonna work the ground and it's gonna produce fruit, but it's gonna produce it through thorns and thistles. And he says, actually, by the sweat of your brow, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat bread. You're gonna eat bread, but it's by the sweat of your brow. So there's something happening in the world. And then what, what God does is God sets a guard in front of the Garden of Eden so that Adam and Eve can't return there. And because we're so consumeristic, because we only think about what we want, we're so used to like getting what we want and tasting what we want and thinking only about like vacation life. The way that you and I picture Garden of Eden is like a place with palm trees and coconuts and whatever, mangoes. We think the Garden of Eden was great because of the fruit. And it's like, man, that's really mean of God. They can't ever go back to paradise and have that wonderful fruit and do all of that. Well, that's not it. Because the thing about it is, is the thing that made the Garden of Eden paradise was not the fruit or the trees. It was the presence of God. And because you remember what I said, God is 100% love, but he's also 100% justice. 
God's presence cannot be in the presence of sin. It can't. He's incapable of it. He comes against it. There's no way. I mean, as soon as sin enters the presence of God, that person carrying that sin dies. That's what the Bible describes, how the Bible describes the holiness of God. So he sets a cherubim, a, an angel with a flaming sword on every direction, guarding the gate to his presence. Because man is now sinful and the earth is now cursed. And what we're gonna talk about today, and I'm gonna run through it very quickly. What we're gonna talk about today, he sends Adam out east of the garden to live. We are gonna talk about the fact that we are living east of Eden. And what does it mean to live east of that place of the presence of God? What does it mean to live now as people who are redeemed from the curse, but living under its scope still. And there's no better example of this than right after what Adam and Eve did in Genesis three, we get the story of the curse being fully lived out in Cain and Abel. We didn't read all of it, we didn't have time to read all of it, we're gonna walk through it today. Life outside of the garden starts with a birth. Here's what happens. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man. I want to repeat that. She said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. The lie that has now set itself inside of Eve, that lie that you can be God, you can dictate your own circumstances, you don't need God for anything. Actually, God is just a roadblock for you. You will never experience who you think you should be as long as God is in the way. God said, eat of all the trees except that one. Why would he do that? Why would he limit you? Why? What kind of tyrant would do that? What kind of tyrant would limit the way that you interact with your boyfriend or girlfriend? What kind of tyrant would say um, that even your sexuality belongs to him? Who would do that? The, the deceiver has deceived Adam and Eve and said, no, God is trying to restrict you. He is trying to keep you from becoming him. That's what's happening here with Eve. It's gotten into her. She has now believed it. She's now operating out of this curse. I think we read the story of Adam and Eve or the story of Cain and Abel and we think that just happened overnight or in an instant. No, there had to have been multiple probably conversations and thoughts and things getting rooted in us, rooted, seeded in us. The Bible talks about bitterness as a root. It says there's a root of bitterness. It's over time. We're gonna talk about this a little bit later. And the way that we know it's in Eve is because the way that she announces Cain and how she even names Cain, the word, the name Cain, simply translated means, I have gotten. Eve, who believed in the garden, the lie that she can be God, she now says, I have gotten a man. I have gotten a man. I did it. It was me which Adam, by the way, was with her saying the same. We did this. God probably helped. <laughs> but I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. What an interesting thing. God said to Adam, I need to make a helper 
suitable for him. Eve, whose name translated means the mother of all living, Eve was created to be a helper, and now the roles are reversed. She's saying, instead of her helping God, it's now, well, God helped me. I did it. He probably helped. Cain, I have gotten. Self-sufficiency, she believes that it was her. And then you have Abel, whose name, who comes second, he's not the firstborn, whose name means breath or vapor. And if you know the story of Cain and Abel, you know that he did not live long. This is what we see in Ecclesiastes when it says, life is a vapor here today and gone to the next. Abel had no consequence. There was nothing to announce. He was the second born. Not really a heavy figure. Cain was the firstborn. There was a prediction. God said in the curse, he said, um, I will put enmity, Eve, between you and the serpent, between your offspring and his offspring. That means this, that there, the serpent will have offspring. The Bible calls it sons of disobedience, those evil ones. And then Eve will have offspring, and the offspring of Eve will finally crush the head of the serpent. Well, she has Cain. Can you imagine what she felt about Cain? Finally, the one who's going to crush the serpent. Cain's the firstborn. He's the one. I did this. I had an offspring that's going to reverse what I did in the garden. I did it. And Abel's just kind of a nobody. So she says to Cain, of course, you're the firstborn. Why don't you do what your father was supposed to do? Work the ground. So Cain was a worker of the ground. And Abel... Tend the sheep. (laughs) Tend the sheep, Abel. Abel's a nobody. He's the shepherd. Cain's the one who's supposed to crush the head. Already there's something at play which is never meant to be. There's hierarchy. There's positioning. Cain is the better portion in pride. And here's what happens. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. That word face fell means literally his identity was lost. It was his countenance that went down. At first glance, we might think like looking over this quickly this seems unfair why would God like Abel's offering and not Cain's they're both bringing offerings and actually both would have been accepted under Levitical law fruit and a sacrifice why did God pick and choose and the the truth is is that I don't have the Bible doesn't give an explanation it would be just speculation for me to try and figure that out but there are some hints and here are the hints Cain's offering is clearly stated as, quote, just fruit of the ground. Not first fruit, just fruit. Abel's is clearly stated as the firstborn. Both give offerings, only one gives a sacrificial offering. Cain's is going to grow back. Abel's is lost forever. One is from the earth, the other is created beating. But even if you went that direction, it still wouldn't get to the heart of the matter because the heart of the matter is the heart of the matter. It's not what they brought. It was the nature in which they brought it. It was the purpose, their agenda. Cain is bringing something out of a pretty wicked heart. 
Abel's bringing from a pure heart. A pure heart says, let me give you the best that I've got. A non-pure heart says, well, I've got to do this in order for God to like me. One was brought in faith. The other brought out of necessity. And the way that we can tell that is because of their responses. The Bible says this. It says that we can know what our own heart is like and we can know what others' hearts are like by what they say or don't say or what they do or don't do. You can judge people by their fruit. And Jesus goes on to say to the Pharisees, he says this. He's talking to them in Matthew and he's basically saying, you are saying true things because you're quoting the Bible, but in your hearts, you're far from me. And then in one of those exchanges in Matthew 12, he says this, for out of an abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that means what we say is actually representative of how we think and how we feel. And that we know that Cain, his heart is wicked because of how he reacts and what he says. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, listen to this, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. First off, God is showing tremendous grace and father-likeness to Cain to say, hey, look at me, Cain. Focus. You've got something really bad that's happening here. I, it, and it has potential to be worse. Pay attention. Here's what's interesting, though. God knew that Cain, what Cain was about to do. But out of his kindness and his father-likeness, he's going to Cain to show him grace. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain, <laughs> I, just please, please, Let's treat the Bible like these things really happened because they did. This is not like allegory or metaphor or whatever. This is an actual story with actual people. I mean, just think about the facts behind this. Cain has now had let this linger for so long. There's not at least, we don't know how many people are on the earth at this point, but it doesn't give us any indication there's, there's a whole lot more than just them. So his one brother, Cain has now absorbed so much hatred for, for hit towards his brother, that this is how he tricks him. He manipulates his own brother who's pure and innocent. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and he murdered him. It's done. The root of sin, the crouching beast has now done its work in Cain. He has done the unthinkable thing, murder. He's been overtaken to the point of no return. He rejected God's instruction. He didn't listen to his father, Yahweh. Now we have the first death on earth. The curse is having its way. 
it's in the fabric of life now. The unthinkable are happening. I mean, for Eve to be that proud and for Cain to be that proud, that darkness, that evil, it's prevalent. Cain's heart is far from God and so is the earth. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And then Cain, just to let you know, he has no remorse. He says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He's just murdered his brother. You know what the word for shepherd is? It's keeper. Cain, in his arrogance, he's the firstborn. He's been given the mandate of his father. Abel's just innocent. He's tending the sheep. Cain, in his arrogance, after he's murdered his innocent brother, he's mocking his brother. And essentially what he says to God is, I don't know, am I a shepherd of the shepherd? (laughs) What arrogance, and the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength and you shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth. What have you done? Similar to the question that God asked Adam when Adam was hiding, he said, where are you? He's asking now, where's your brother? God approaches Cain. First off, it's grace that he even approached him. Second, it's grace that he didn't just kill him immediately. Did you remember when I talked about God is 100% justice? Anybody else here think, if God would have put me in charge, this would have been a quick fix? Eye for an eye, right? One life for another life, innocent, pure, able, murdered by his brother, put me in charge. Let me be judge, jury, and executioner. I promise you this would be a fast 20-second trial. He deserves to die. God extends the curse to Cain in the same way that he does Adam. He he tells Adam, the ground is cursed. You're gonna work, you're gonna produce fruit, but it's gonna be through thorns and thistles. And to Cain, it's not even that. The ground's not gonna yield you its strength at all. And he tells him in verse 12, you shall be a fugitive and wander on the earth. And what we're talking about here is this is probably the point that we need to settle in on the most is verse 12. Because to be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth means that he is restless, that he's now out of the presence of God and he's just walking around and there's no home for him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled into the land of Nod, east of Eden. Nod, interpreted, means literally place of restlessness. And the point is this, in this world that we live in now, east of Eden, this land of Nod for us, Augustine says it this way, that our hearts will not find rest until they find their rest in you. Out of his presence means out of the rest that we're so desperately looking for. And let me just let you know the thing that you probably already know, it doesn't matter what you try. You can try family, you can try house, you can try job, you can try money, you can try all of that stuff. 
You can try the right career. If just somehow it works out to where you like your whole life is lined up, you still miss something. It still doesn't work out the way that you hope. There's still that longing within everybody. If you haven't experienced it yet, you will. It's that pain that comes out of nowhere, that anxiety that comes out of nowhere that says like, I cannot find rest. What is rest? What is Sabbath? How do we find it? Cain now has been banished away from the presence of God and it's the presence of God that's keeping him, it's the lack of God's presence that's keeping him from rest, from true rest. Banished to the land of Nod. Life east of Eden is marked with restlessness. There's no place that we can find that will give us the rest that only the presence of God can offer. We grit our teeth, we try, make our way in the world, build equity, whatever, but it doesn't bring us the thing that only the presence of God can bring. What's happened now is black and white, and it's this. Cain's sin has separated him from God, and so does yours. The one thing that is promised to us by sin, by the deceiver, the thing that's promised to us is rest, is fulfillment, is actually giving us the exact opposite of what it promises. And it's removing us from the place of rest, which is God's presence, because sin does that. It separates us from the presence of God. What Cain did is what we do. He ignored the warnings from a holy God, and we do that same thing. There's a couple of things I want you to see about sin today before we move on. Cain was angry. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Remember that. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So the first thing I want you to see is that sin is, in fact, crouching. Now, what does that mean? Well, just imagine a crouching lion. Just imagine the type of predator, the type of, the Bible talks about sin as a lion. Uh, if you have a cat, maybe there are cat owners in here, I don't know. But cats, like, they go into this mode where you think they're playing, they think they're about to destroy you. And they crouch down and they shake their body and then they jump at you. Anybody have cats in the room? Y'all look at me like I'm crazy. They, in in that cat's mind, which I'm not, I don't own a cat. I've got a dog. But in that cat's mind, that cat is about to murder you. That cat thinks, I'm going to eat, I'm going to swallow this person whole. And they don't even know what's coming. I'm so fast. I'm so fierce. Do they not? Any cat lover, and I don't care if you're a cat lover or not, that's what cats are thinking. They might, cats might be evil, I don't know. So sorry, that was probably offensive to some people. Lions do the same thing. They're, they're, uh, it's just in them, it's naturally in them. They, they crouch down, they, they're waiting on their prey, they're predators. And they're about to attack, but you think you're, they're playing. But they think they're about to kill you. And the deal is that a lion can kill you. And God says that sin is this way. It's crouching to hide itself. It's getting low as to not be seen. But really, its plan is for you to not see it and then for it to jump and devour you when you least expect it. That's what sin does. 
it's crouching at the door. You think, not a big deal. Um, it's, it is what it is, whatever. I'm preaching to myself. Listen, it's like not going to have much of an effect on me. But sin is doing that thing that it's, it's actually a beast. And when God was created, man to have dominion over the beast, what's happening now is the beast ends up attacking and having dominion over man. First Peter five says this, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Listen to this, be sober minded, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I love that it says the remedy for this, and this is what Cain should have done, is cast your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Why would that come right before this? Because if Cain had just come to God and said, I'm mad, I'm frustrated, why did you like Abel's sacrifice and not mine? What are you doing? Why is your face against me? Why do you, like David does in the Psalms, like, Lord, where are you? Why have you cast me down? If we would just do that instead of immediately acting like God is against us, but if we would be honest with God and we would say like, God, where are you? I miss you. I don't know what's happening, but I need you and I don't feel like you're here. Why did you do that for them and not for me? But we try to bring we try to bring a presentation to God. We bring an ideal self and not our real self. And the problem is, is that your ideal self can never be saved. It's your real self that you need to bring to him. Cast your anxieties on him. Be sober-minded. Your adversary is seeking someone to devour like a roaring lion. Again, God had made us to be, have dominion over the beast. And now what he's saying is that the beast can have dominion over you. It's crouching around. And he says, its desire is contrary to you. You must rule over it. The second thing is that sin wants to rule you. That's what it wants to do. Tim Keller, sin has an abiding, growing presence in your life. If you commit sin, sin is not over. Sin is not simply an action, it's a force, it's a power. When you sin, it's now not over. But it actually becomes a presence in your life. It takes shape, a shadow shape, and stays with you and begins to affect you. The Bible calls us to rule over our sin. Sin's trying to rule over us. What the the serpent promised was that we would be rulers and what actually is happening is we become under his rule. Sin grabs us, it enslaves us. What's happening now is we're seeing and we're feeling, even in this room now, we're feeling and seeing the effects of a cursed world. We're, I hope what you're doing and what I'm doing is I'm asking like, man, I, I need to, there are things I need to repent of. There are things that I'm probably entertaining. Things that I kind of don't see as devour. I'm also thinking about the fact that Maybe you feel like I feel, I've already talked about it a little bit, but 
because we're made in the image of God, there's a justice inside of us as well. But what I like to do is I like to play the justice card for everybody else and not myself. And so I look at Cain and I, I say, Cain deserves justice. And you say that too. How many of you just felt like, man, this Cain guy, Abel's so pure and innocent, but Cain is... I know some dudes in the room, and I think it's a good thing for a guy to think, but I know some guys in the room who are like, man, I wish Cain would walk in here right now. <laughs> I'd be the crouching tiger. But here's what happens to Cain. Something extraordinary, something profound that like is perplexing and unexpected. Cain gets what he doesn't deserve and it's pretty weird actually because it's not like Cain came to his senses or started acting like anything other than a toddler he's like a child who thinks the whole world revolves around him Cain actually says to the Lord after God said you're you're going to be a fugitive um, you're going to be away from my presence you're going to have to wander the earth you're going to work from the ground it's not going to give you any of its strength and you, you would think that Cain in that moment would be like, you know what, I deserve a lot worse than that. Thank you for letting me live. But Cain still, like, he doesn't even prove that he's thought about it at all. He says this, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Oh, really, Cain? Really? You get to live, brother. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So what I would do, like a dad, I would be like, yeah, that's probably what's going to happen. You don't deserve to live 10 minutes past now. But maybe you live, maybe you don't. At least there's a shot. But look at what God does. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain lest any who, find, who found him should attack him. God spares him. Cain goes on to live. He takes a wife. He has a son. He builds a city. There was assuredly laughter in his life and good meals. and I mean, a whole city has kids. He deserves way worse than that. There's probably art in the city. There's probably parties and I don't know. There's probably real life there. Which lets you know, one, there's a thing called the common grace of God, which is like even in a cursed and broken world, still God's common grace is for people that don't deserve it. That's why we work hard for things that are beautiful. That's why we work hard for the good of our cities, because the common grace of God at work in the world. God gives Cain a mark that spares his life, and this right here is the story of God's people. Because you deserve death. And so do I. I'm going to be honest. And the story of God's people is the story of Cain that we are given a mark that says, even though we deserve death, by God's decree, thus saith the Lord, death will pass us by. You remember the story of the people of God in Exodus when that final death angel came to, that was the final plague to let God's people go, those plagues 
And God said, find a perfect spotless lamb, kill the lamb, place the blood of the lamb over the door frame of your house and the angel of death will pass over your house. That's how I will know that you are mine. The mark, well, this is where the mark came from. Cain, Cain gets a mark from God. You should die, but you will live. This is the deal, it's like, even in darkness, even in a cursed land, God is still fulfilling his purpose. He still has a plan, he's not absent from us. He has provided a way, he's given us a mark for us to live. We'll see, the earth doesn't get better. It doesn't. This is not about the world like finally getting better and going up and to the right or whatever it is. I mean, it gets the worst it's ever been in uh, the next, literally next week. The sermon next week is on the flood. God sees the earth and he says, this is terrible. Regrets that he ever made man, floods the whole earth. But still, even in that, he does not abandon us. He's still fulfilling his purpose in Noah, who is one man who survives the great flood he himself restores the kingdom of God. God does it through him. God is providing. And he also provides for Adam and Eve. They've now lost two sons. Can you imagine that as a mom? That you're, can you imagine, just think about this practically. Your son killed your other son and one of them was innocent. And you, so in that moment, you've lost them both. And the other one is banished to wander the earth. You'll never see either one of them ever again. God provides even for them. And Adam knew his wife again and she bore another son and called his name Seth. For she said this, remember Cain's name, I have gotten, she says about Seth, God has given, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel for Cain killed him. I don't know if it was the pain, I'm sure it was, the suffering of the years, I don't know what it was that finally like beat her down, produced humility in her. But she finally has it to where she now knows, God did this, God gave me Seth. And now something interesting happens in the earth to Seth also was born a son and he called his name Enosh at the time and at that time, listen to this, people began at that time to call upon the name of the Lord. Even through great pain, distress, and suffering, God is at work. He will fulfill his purposes on earth and he will do it through his son, ultimately through his son, Jesus. The mark for us, for even Cain was the mark of the cross. That's what it ultimately is. The parallels between Jesus and Abel is so fascinating. See, Jesus, this whole story is about Jesus, but Jesus is different than Abel. He's different than Adam. He's different, of course, than Cain. He's different than Noah. But they all point to him. They point to him as being the better version of themselves. Jesus is actually the better Adam, of course. The Bible says that clearly. Through one man comes death, through also one man comes life. Jesus is the new Adam. Adam was supposed to reject the devil in the garden. Well, Jesus went to the garden and he rejected himself, his own flesh. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. He's also the better Abel. He's like Abel, 
and that he's innocent and pure. He's also like Abel in that he was killed by his brothers. Jesus is also like Abel in this fact. Abel's blood cried out to God from the earth, from the ground. Well, Jesus' blood cries out to God from the ground. He dies. Abel's crying out for justice to be done upon Cain. Jesus' blood cries out for justice to be done upon himself on our behalf. And like Abel, God saw the sacrifice of Jesus as pleasing. Hebrews 12 says this, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Rest is in the presence of God. It's, it's in him. It can't, you can't get it anywhere else. Rest is remembering and trusting the mark that we have, the mark of the gospel of Jesus, that his blood speaks a better word. And then it's also going, where is sin crouching? Where is it crouching for you? Where have you forgotten the gospel in your life? Where has sin made its way and is seeking to devour you? Where have you just played with it and forgotten it and it's hiding? Where? You remember God today. You need to remember him. Remember his goodness. Remember what he's done. Remember that you are marked by him and remember that we are freed from slavery. The Bible tells us to not return back to it. We're gonna take communion together. If you're a Christian in the room, I wanna invite you to take this with us. You don't have to be a member here or anything. You just take communion. This is, a, this is a, a meal, the Bible calls it. It's the table of repentance and grace. And for the Christian in the room, it's even the walk of repentance down to the table. And you take bread and wine or juice and you say, yeah, I belong to Christ. But then you also, according to James, you let the word do that work in you, which is this. Don't just be hearers of the be doers, and then we let this table do our, the work in our heart to say, I remember God, I'm coming back to him. If you're not a Christian, if you've not been baptized into the family of God, um, hey, look, we don't do this to embarrass any of you guys, but I mean, it's a, it's a fact. The Bible says that it, it's a meal of faith and you can actually be bringing harm upon yourself if you don't follow Jesus by taking it. I know it's awkward, but I would just say, don't take the meal of faith Come to faith itself. Come to Jesus. Let's stand together. If you're